I brought my wrong Bible with me uh, this morning, my thin one, so my arm won't get tired, but I may get confused, so I'm going to consult my uh, my program notes. So, so uh, I wanted to 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 uh, greet you all again and uh, welcome you here today, and in particular, I would like to to greet any of you who uh, are not regular church attenders. Um, uh, oftentimes on Easter, people come to church for a host of reasons. They come because they've told a friend they would, or maybe they told themselves they would. They said, sure, I'll, I'll come to Easter. Or maybe they're just trying to figure it out, and they saw the sign or something, and they decided to come. And they're trying to figure out what it is that, that we're about here. And I can, I can tell you, what we're all about here is Jesus. So that, that's what we're about here. But if you're not, or you're not yet, or you're still trying to figure out what it is that you are about, then you are welcome here. And I can say that with authority because two decades ago, I was in your place. I was a skeptic in a church. And um, that was that was a very unusual thing for me. I had grown up in the church. Um, my mom took the whole family to church, and we all went to church. And, and that lasted right up until I got out of high school. And when I graduated from high school, I went off to college, and I spent exactly one Sunday going to church. And it occurred to me that I didn't have to anymore that my mom couldn't make me, there was nobody who could make me go to church, so I quit going. And for 10 years, I didn't miss it. For 10 years, I only went to church maybe one or two times uh, because, again, it was a special occasion and somebody said, you know, would you please come? And that's really kind of the way things were until after I got married. Um, because I made the mistake of marrying a Christian and um, <laughs> and they just work on you. They, they bring you to church. And one day I was in church and the, the preacher said, it was a pretty interesting um, uh, sermon, and so I went up to him after the, the service and I said, that's a really interesting uh, uh, thing you said today, I, I didn't know that, that was enlightening to me. I only really have one problem with, with what you said, I don't believe in God. And, and that's really the problem, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, lots of people like Jesus, they find Jesus to be interesting, they, they say, you know, I, I really like Jesus' style, um, or I like the way he's concerned about the poor or the marginalized in society. I, I like the way Jesus uh, confronts the uh, established powers and, and takes them on right to their face. I like the way Jesus uh, stands up to mean religious people. There's lots of people who like Jesus. They like Jesus uh, because he's an admirable person. Uh, Mohandas Gandhi, he liked uh, Jesus. He famously said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. And, and so, so lots of people like Jesus. But the question isn't, uh, do you like Jesus? Is Jesus interesting? It's not a question of, do you believe things about Jesus that, that are, you know, facts in your head? The question is, do you believe Jesus? Can you believe in Jesus? Can you trust in Jesus? Can you lean your life against Jesus and the things that he tells you? Can you lean your life against Jesus at 2 a.m. when the phone rings and somebody says there's been an accident and you need to come to the hospital? Can you lean your life against Jesus when the doctor says, honestly, not long, a couple of years maybe, but there's been some promising development, so, so we'll see where that goes. Can you lean your life against Jesus then? Can you lean your life against Jesus when your parents don't have a clue what happens when you get on the bus. 
Can you lean your life against Jesus when the boss says, look, it's nothing personal. This is coming down from corporate. They say we've got to reduce headcount. And I'm sorry, but it's going to be you. Can you lean your life against Jesus then? Can you trust what Jesus says then? That's the real question, not whether Jesus is interesting. The question is, can you put your faith in Jesus? And the answer is yes. The answer that Easter gives us is yes, you can. So what I'd like to do is spend a couple of minutes unpacking how this passage uh, answers that question for us. So we're reading from uh, the story of Easter morning. Uh, this is from uh, one of uh, one of uh, four biographies of, of Jesus that are in the Bible. Uh, we're reading from Matthew's biography. It was written by a guy named Matthew. All right, you're spiritual. Okay, good. Okay. Um, so so Matthew tells us. Um, he says. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Now, uh, what he's saying here is um, that it's it's the very crack of, of dawn, and Mary and Mary went out to visit the tomb. He doesn't say why they went out to visit the tomb, but there are four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. And so we know from some of the other biographies, the reason they went to visit the tomb was to complete the funeral preparations, or they were concerned that they hadn't been done properly, and they wanted to make sure that they, they were done. So they went out to the tomb. The reason the funeral, the reason that there was some doubt whether or not the funeral preparations had been done properly is because Jesus had died pretty late on Friday. And Jesus spent pretty much all day Friday dying, and that was the way the Romans designed crucifixion. The whole point of crucifixion was to have a long, painful, drawn-out public spectacle of your execution. And the idea was, uh, first of all, just to kind of teach you a lesson, but especially to teach everybody else a lesson, that this is what happens when you mess with Rome. You wind up hung up on a tree somewhere, dying a painful death. So the whole point of crucifixion is a long, slow death. And so Jesus died all day Friday. And it wasn't until nearly sundown when Jesus actually died. And uh, what happened is some friends of his, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, uh, went to Pilate and said, can we have the body? Normally that was forbidden. The way that the Romans uh, did crucifixion is when, the, when, a, when a crucified person died, their body would be left hanging on, on the cross for weeks or months. But eventually it would be taken down and tossed in a dump. It was forbidden to bury a body that had been crucified. But Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate because he was rich. He had some pull. What he probably did, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us this, um, and it's not a good thing, um, but he probably bribed Pilate and said, can we have the body? And so Pilate gave him the body uh, maybe an hour before sundown. So they did a very quick rush job of preparing the body for funeral, for, for, for burial. And uh, uh, they, they would normally have a more elaborate process, but they were in a hurry because sundown was coming. Sundown is the beginning of the Jewish um, uh, s- Sabbath, and it lasts from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. So they couldn't do any work then. They did what they could Friday afternoon, and then uh, Friday night and Saturday, they didn't do anything. And then it's dark, so they couldn't go out at night. But then at the very crack of dawn on Sunday morning, the women go because they want to confirm that the, the body had been prepared properly. And if not, they would, they would re, uh, uh, do, they would prepare it again for, for, uh, the, the pr- proper, um, entombment. 
And when they got there, they found uh, uh, they were at the tomb, and there was this earthquake because an angel from heaven came down and uh, uh, rolled the stone away and sat on it. Now, the way that their tombs worked for us, a tomb is a hole in the ground. You dig down, you put the body there, and then you cover it back up. The way that the way that uh, tombs worked in the Bible is they would put the tombs sideways. Um, they would dig into the side of a hill. Um, they'd they dig a little cave, and they would put the body in there. And then they would seal it back up with a stone. And then a couple of years later, they would they would uh, go in after the body had decomposed. They'd take the bones out and they'd put it in a bone box or an ossuary. And the, you, there's ossuaries all over the Holy Land. There's a couple of thousand that have been discovered. Um, there's a picture of one here, I think. So this is an example of an ossuary. It's big enough to hold the long bones of the body. So after the body had had um, had time to decompose a couple of years then they would put the bones in the in the ossuary and they'd give it to a family member or something like that that's the way burials worked in that time so there's a there's a stone that has been rolled in front of the tomb to seal it up until a few years have passed and that's that's the situation that the women um are are facing when they go to the tomb but an angel comes down and rolls the the stone away and then there's some some kind of wordplay here um, it says that the the guards the guards shook with fear. So there was an earthquake, and then there was kind of a guard quake. But then the guards the guards um, quit shaking. They they fainted dead away. And the angel tells the women, he says, "Don't be afraid." He says, "The guards' fear is exactly the right thing for them. But for you, you don't have to be afraid because I know why you're here. You came here looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. You're looking for Jesus, but he's not here." Jesus isn't here because he is risen, just as he said. It says, um, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Uh, the, the angel tells them, the angel tells them this in three out of the four biographies. There's four, four biographies and they all have different details, but in three of them, they mention that one little bit. Jesus is risen, which is pretty amazing. Um, he's, he's risen from the grave, he's risen from the dead, but then they add this thing, just as he said. And the reason for that was to jog their memories because during the three years that Jesus went around uh, uh, talking about God, during those three years, Jesus said all kinds of things that people were electrified by the way Jesus communicated. Jesus spoke in a way that, that uh, cr- literally drew crowds. People had never heard anybody talk about God the way Jesus did. And mostly what Jesus did is he made it more clear. People walked away from his from his talks saying, why hasn't anyone ever said it that way before? Now I understand what, I, I understand something about God. So Jesus would use metaphors that people understood. He'd talk about farming or fishing, things that they knew about, and say, God's like that. And, and so most of the time, people walked away from his talks understanding what Jesus was saying. But there are some places where Jesus didn't. And so uh, we read in the scriptures, it'll talk about how, how uh, the, the crowds murmured at this, or they didn't like that. So occasionally Jesus said things that they didn't understand, or maybe they understood too well, that they knew that if, if they, if they followed that to its conclusion, then they'd have to make some adjustments in their life. They'd have to, they, they'd have to kind of think through about the way that they were living their life. And so sometimes they murmured because they didn't understand. Sometimes they murmured because they did understand. But there was one thing that Jesus said over and over and over again, and nobody ever understood it. Every time Jesus said it, they just kind of like, I don't, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Jesus would say that he would go to Jerusalem and he would be betrayed, 
into the hands of sinful men. He would be tried, executed on a cross, buried, and on the third day rise again. And every time Jesus says that throughout the scriptures, his disciples would just go, I don't get that. You know, I understood the one about the the Good Samaritan. That one made sense to me. I got the one about the prodigal son. That made sense. I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Jesus. Nobody ever understood, not once, what Jesus was talking about when he said that he was going to be executed. Because it didn't make any sense. It made no sense at all that Jesus would be executed. They had seen the things that Jesus was doing. They had heard the way Jesus brought God into uh, into into a clearer light. They knew that Jesus was from God. And so when he talked about being betrayed and executed, they just it, something inside their heads just clicked off and they couldn't make any sense of it. And one time, one of his followers, Peter, actually said, Jesus, enough with this, enough with this unhappy talk. You're just bringing everybody down. Stop that. And Jesus said, you're, you're, you're the one who's making the mistake. You're my adversary. He says, you've got your mind set on the things of the world, not the things of God. So nobody ever understood what Jesus was talking about. And the angel reminds the women at the tomb. He says, this is that thing you never understood. Every time Jesus said this, you never understood what he was getting at. But guess what's happened this week? Jesus came to Jerusalem. He was betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He was tried. He was executed all day long in a public, bloody, gory spectacle. He died. He was buried. And now it's the third day, and he has risen just like he said. What the angel is saying here is there was one thing Jesus said that never made any sense. There was lots of stuff that Jesus said you did you did understand, but there's one thing that was utterly incomprehensible. Nobody ever understood what Jesus was getting at. Nobody ever could make any sense of it, and that came true. The angel is saying, if the most out there, the most ridiculous, the most incomprehensible, the most unreasonable, irrational thing Jesus ever said came true, then you can trust everything else he said that, that made sense. If, if the thing that he said that you could not even fathom came true, then you can understand all the other stuff and you can believe it. The angel is saying you can trust Jesus. So the scripture goes on to tell us that the women ran from the tomb filled with fear and, and, um, and great joy. And they, they went and they told the disciples. The disciples saw Jesus and it transformed this little movement from a couple of dozen people to, to a, a movement that within a few months had thousands of, of people following Jesus and uh, within uh, a few hundred years had become the primary religion in the Roman Empire, eventually became the state religion of the Roman Empire and continued to spread. It spread throughout um, northern Africa and Asia and then it spread to the New World. And over the past two centuries, it has spread all over the world. There's no place where Christianity is unknown. And every place it's gone, it's changed the world. Because people saw that if the craziest thing Jesus ever said could be true, then they could trust him with their lives. They could trust him with the big things that mattered to them. It translated Jesus from being kind of an intellectual curiosity to being someone who they could trust their lives with. But, you know, I've sat in the skeptic's chair. I know what it's like to say, yeah, but he hasn't appeared to me. And so I'd like to share this little bit of extra information here. I'll conclude my message by talking about 
what it is that the angel and Jesus actually say. The angel says, says, um, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead, just as he said. But then he gives the women instructions. He says, come, see where the body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And then Jesus, when he appears, he says pretty much the same thing. There, there's one interesting change that, that I love. Um, Jesus doesn't use the word disciples. He doesn't say followers because they aren't, right? They were disciples uh, until a week ago. But on Thursday night when Jesus was arrested, they scattered. They are ex-followers, okay? They scattered off into the darkness. When they had an opportunity to follow Jesus, they said, forget that. I'm not, I'm not on board for that. And they disappeared. So Jesus doesn't use the word disciples. He says ex-followers or bad followers, right? No, actually, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. But apart from that, it's almost the same message. I love that. But, but apart from that, it's almost the same message that the angel says. He says, go and tell my disciples they'll see me in Galilee. Now, for us, Galilee is just a place. It's a place on a map. Uh, we don't we don't know from Galilee. It, you know, uh, I'm not sure how many of us could could pick it out on a on a um, on, on a map. It's it's a region in the northern part of Israel. Um, but but all these events the past week have happened in Jerusalem, which is in the southern part of Israel. Jerusalem is the center of the Jewish religion. It's the place where the temple is. It's the place where people go for their pilgrimages. When there's a when there's a festival, uh, they have to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. And Jesus says, "Don't look for me there." He says, "Go back home. Go back to the place you live. Go back to the place your families are. Go back to the place you work. Go back home, and you will see me there. You won't see me in the temple. You won't see me on the religious pilgrimage." You won't see me far from home in a fancy building. The place you will see me is in your life. You'll see me back in your regular, everyday life. When I told the preacher two decades ago that I didn't believe in God, I was afraid that, well, I wasn't, I didn't believe in God, so I wasn't afraid of getting zapped by lightning or anything, but, but I was afraid that it would be a problem. I was afraid that the preacher would kick me out of the church or, or worse yet, kick, kick Margot out and then I'd be in trouble. She'd say, I can't take you anywhere. And so, so I, was, I was afraid. But now on this side of the pulpit, I understand that those are really the days that the preachers live for, right? The day somebody comes in and says, hey, instead of, instead of uh, dealing with committee work and, and denominational responsibilities and and uh, uh, message planning. Let's talk about Jesus. And those are the days that really kind of make all the rest of the days worthwhile. So, so he didn't kick me out. And in fact, he did meet with me. He met with me a couple of times, and he answered some some specific uh, uh, technical questions I had. You know, what's going on in this passage? Because that's always troubled me, or something like that. But I remember one thing in particular. He said, "If you don't believe in God, maybe you would, if you could see what God was doing in the world." And he said that his church, the church that Margot had dragged me to, provided lots of opportunities to see what God was doing in the world. And so what he did is he said, I'd like you to, to, to be, consider being part of one of our community groups. And these are small groups that did not meet in the church. They met in people's homes and they talked about real life issues. 
and, and it gave people opportunities to deal with what was going on in their own lives, not what was going on in the church on Sunday. So he did that. He, he got me involved in service projects in the church. He even got me signed up on a committee. Now, I, again, I realize now that all you've got to do to get on a committee in a church is have a pulse. But, but, um, but I thought that was pretty cool that he actually let me be part of a committee. So, um, so I worked in, in different kinds of service, uh, in, in the work of the church, um, and the work of the church out in the world. I was part of the community of the, the people of God, um, gathering to deal with real life issues. And what I discovered in my little Galilee is that God met me there. And that I did see God. It took about a year to the point where I kind of said, okay, all right, I, I give up. I, I, I have seen enough um, that God is doing in the world and in particular inside of me that I finally decided that I did believe in God after all. So if, like I was, you're sitting in the skeptic seat and you're saying, I don't know what I believe. I, I'm not sure I believe in God. I, I'm not sure what I believe about Jesus. Let me encourage you the same way that that preacher so long ago encouraged me. If you don't believe in God, maybe you could believe in God if you could see what God is doing in the world, in your little Galilee. Because Jesus meets people in Galilee. Now, if you're not in a skeptic seat, if you've long since become convinced that, that there is a Jesus and you've decided to lean your life against him, let me just add um, uh, one last thought here. Jesus tells the disciples, through, through first the, the angel and then Jesus, tell the disciples through the, the women, he says, go and tell my brothers. What does he mean? He means to get up out of rooms like this and go out into the world to people who have scattered. They've heard about Jesus, but when the chips came down, they decided they couldn't be part of what Jesus was up to. And Jesus says, they're my brothers. So Jesus says to people who follow him, go and tell my brothers that I'm alive, that I've risen, and that I will see them in Galilee. Easter is a reminder that the weirdest, craziest, most incomprehensible thing Jesus ever said came true. And because it came true, we can trust in everything else he said, including his promise to meet us in Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that you have brought these people to this service today. You've given them an opportunity to hear about um, what you did 2,000 years ago the way that you fulfilled the promises that Jesus had made. And because that promise was fulfilled, we can believe all the other promises. So, Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us in our little Galilees. Help us to see Jesus more clearly each day. And for those of us who have decided to lean our lives against Jesus, I pray, Lord, you'd show us how we can communicate the reality of Jesus in the world. I pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.